2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host
1: Adam Scleena. and I'm your other host Matt Scleana. And
2: Matt, today we've got Brad J Lamb. This is a very,
1: very, very exciting episode.
2: I'm I'm amped. I'm fired up. Fired yeah. up, and it's uh, it's one where you're going to learn a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about who Brad is. First of all, for people that don't know Brad Lamb, most of you, you should. probably know him. Most and of if you, you probably don't, do. you should. He's massive in Toronto. He's a reality TV star. He used to have a show on HGTV. Um, his real estate company has sold over 24,000 homes. Yeah. Um, and the guy was you a heard millionaire. That right, he was a
1: millionaire in the 80s before he left his parents' basement. Yeah. Super impressive guy. He's a super impressive guy. He also owns a development company that's doing towers right across the country. Right across the country. So yeah. Brad's got his finger on the pulse of Canadian real estate. He's also got amazing advice for aspiring real estate moguls. Absolutely. You're going to learn today the four
2: best real estate investments in Canada, how Brad became a millionaire before the age of 30, and why everybody, listen to this, Matt, everybody should be buying a condo. That is a very interesting, his take. And uh, so stay tuned for that. So, Matt, I honestly, I mean, this interview is so good. I'm just want to, let's get right into it. Let's cut to
1: the chase. Enjoy our interview with Brad Lamb. <laughs>
2: Okay, so we're here with Brad Lamb, uh, broker and owner and real estate developer from uh, Toronto. How are you doing, Brad?
3: I'm great, thank you.
2: Yeah,
1: thanks for taking the time today, Brad.
3: Yeah, it's my pleasure. So, so Brad,
2: can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself?
3: Uh, well, you mean professionally, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so I... I, I um, I went to university in Ontario, Queens. And while I was was in university, I I took um, mechanical engineering and, and I realized in year three, it wasn't what I wanted to be. I finished it. I got a job as an engineer and, and I, 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 basically just plotted my, my exit from that industry into real estate, which the easiest and lowest hanging thing was to get a real estate license. I had been buying real estate in the four years that I worked as an engineer. And, um, I I just loved it. I mean, it was it it got me excited every day. So I just you know went from uh, being a a small to medium sized investor, getting my real estate license, uh, being a real estate agent, then a broker, then a substantial broker, and doing a lot of work for developers uh, as their as their brokerage rep and advisor. And then I I decided at at some point in the early two thousands that. I thought I knew more than they did, which by the way, I didn't, but I thought I did. And I became a real estate developer and jumped right in with two feet and, and started developing. And, and And so it's been an evolution since 2002 to now, you know where we're at today.
1: So Brad, it sounds like uh, I'm always interested in how people find real estate. You, you were an engineer. like how did you, how did you get interested in real estate in the first place?
3: Well, I mean, I've always been, uh, I've always been a salesperson, you know, and um, uh, as a little kid, I, I, you know, everyone says they sold things. They had, you know, they sold Kool-Aid, but I, I went farther than that. I sold everything. I had ice cream sales, uh, ice cream sundays, or sorry, ice cream sandwich sales. I had fairs. I had barbecues. I had sneak charming shows. had movies. I had uh, movies. Uh, I sold everything that I buy and resell everything, and and uh, I loved the idea of selling things and creating value from what I saw as nothing. Like you could go to the, the local uh, shopping store and buy, you know, freeze pops that were a cent piece, and then you could freeze them, which cost nothing because my mother's freezer for me was free, and I could sell them for five cents in nineteen, you know, sixty eight or sixty nine, and I could sell as many as I could do, and. Because the kids are so desperate for things to do, um, you know, there was two or three TV stations. There was no computers or internet. They were starved for things, so it was always exciting when I brought out new events and new products. And I love that idea. So, I, I um, first and foremost, I see myself as someone who sells things sells ideas, sells products. I got into real estate, I, I saw it as an opportunity, I always liked it, I mean, I always sketched malls and buildings when I was a kid, um, and I loved, you know, there were certain games that land in real estate that I just loved playing. Um, but when I was in my second year I, I, at Queens, we, a bunch of us had rented a house, and at the end of the year, the house went up for sale. And we were paying $1,100, sorry, $900 a month um, rent on this in 1982, and um, and the house was up for sale for $55,000. And I I grabbed my calculator and I you know I, I looked at that and I thought, wow, the the net income on this is off the charts. So you know with 10% down, which you could buy a property for 10% down and rent it, so five or six thousand dollars. You can you can literally make literally make uh you know, four or five thousand dollars a year in positive cash flow, pay off your mortgage, and of course hope for the best in terms of capital appreciation. So I realized that this was something it was it was very low brow, it you know, nothing compared to being doing engineering. I just thought, wow, it's that easy. And this is the thing that people don't understand. It is that easy. It's that simple. You buy real estate you rent it for more money than it costs you, and you put it away forever. So once I saw that, I, I got bitten by it. And the first thing I did was uh, I formed a company um, with my two brothers who, who weren't really interested, but I kind of bullied them into it. And my dad gave my younger brother some money. I put in my savings some work, and, and my older brother put in the same amount of money. We bought a townhouse in London, Ontario, and we rented it to my little brother who was going to med school at the time with uh, three friends. So we rented it for $800 a month and, the, and we bought the place for 32000 So you see the math, it worked really well. And I just, I just, uh, from that point on, I just kept buying more and more real estate. I was really quite addicted to it. Um, you know, I'd sell something and buy three, uh, sell those a year and a half later and buy six. You know, like I kept trying to expand and, 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 and the thing about it was that what got me to get a real estate license was the fact that I really like selling and my engineering job was was quite oriented towards sales. Um, and I had been trained professionally to be better at sales um, through that, that job and and um, and, and then I, I you know I asked my real estate agent at the time, how much money did you make for me last year in commissioning? He said seventy thousand dollars. And I had made 50 as an engineer I thought well (laughs) that I'll make $70,000 and I'll sell myself stuff and I'll be better off than I was as an engineer and I'll see all the opportunities you know and be able to be full time in real estate and I never considered being a real estate agent so to speak I thought I'd represent myself but then I went to real estate school and people are having a hard time calculating mortgage payments I thought wow (laughs) this is going to be like stealing candy from a baby (laughs) So I I stole the candy for the babies.
2: <laughs> um, so wow, that's that's, that's, a that's a great story. That's a great story. <laughs> um, so Brad, so we've got a, a a ton of listeners that are are you know investors and um, also uh, real estate agents that are probably looking at your career and wanting to follow in your footsteps. What, what's one piece of advice, maybe an overarching piece of advice that you'd you'd give to aspiring real estate moguls?
3: Well, you know, I think the first thing is that you have to take it a step at a time. Like I, I you know, I don't think that in 1988, when I left my my job, that I ever considered I'd be where I am today. I, I just could, I didn't think that large. I mean, I eventually did. Eventually, after selling real estate and being good at it and making some money, and I, I became a millionaire. I set these goals: that by 60, I wanted to be a billionaire. And, and, uh, I've, you know, I worked hard towards that. So having goals is important, but, but also if you don't reach your goals, not, not to worry, you know, you, could, you can still, you can, you can kick the, 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 uh, can down the street a bit. But I think, I think more than anything, what I did was I always took as much money as I could from my earnings and I lived, uh, you know, I'm not going to say I lived simply because I, I, I didn't live simply, but I didn't live, like, I lived at my parents' house till I was 30 or 31. And I, I when I left my parents' house, I was a millionaire. And in 1980, 1990, that was a lot of money. Um, and I only could do that because I accumulated every dollar I could, and I invested in real estate. And I, I had a shitty car. Um, I you know, dressed well, but not, not, uh, you know, ex- extremely well. I wasn't crazy. I, I didn't have the best watch in the world. I did, I did everything I could to take my money and, and put it in the system. And I realized that the faster I did that and the younger, the younger age, I was the more time it would have to earn me money. Right. The problem is if you start at 50, it's not impossible, but it's harder than if you start at 24. So I started right away, and I put as much money as I could. When I, when I was working for developers, on a on a, let's say a 200 unit building, I would buy four or five apartments, and I would struggle because you know it would require me coming up with 200 something, you know, 200 thousand dollars in deposits, and I have to get mortgages. And the the developers who I work with say, "What are you? Why are you buying all these condos?" And I say, "Hold well, wait a minute, you, you're building these buildings, and you don't see the value in what you're doing." I'm like, "Well, not not like, what are you going to rent them?" I'm like. Yeah, I'm going to rent them. You're selling these for $160,000, and the rent is $1,200, and interest rates are five or five and a half. Do the math. It makes sense. You actually make a positive cash flow, and if you believe that the marketplace is going to increase, which every year you've been developing, you've raised your prices, it makes sense. So I talked I talked many of the people that I was working with, for and with into buying real estate. They didn't They didn't even believe in their own product. So I did it through condominium purchasing. I didn't do it through, in the early days, commercial real estate or single-family homes or duplexes or triplexes. I started out that way, and I hated being a slumlord. I wanted to rent to lawyers and doctors in their 20s and 30s that would pay me rent every month and not call me all the time. So I kind of focused on real estate that was for the upper you know, upper middle class, but sort of, you know, that, that, that element back in those days, it made seventy five, eighty thousand dollars 80000 and could afford a one-bedroom. And and so I would say, the, so I'm rambling a little bit, but the one piece of advice I'd say is do everything you can to get your money in the system without taking, and this is the balance, without taking too big a risk and, and, and you know, and, and over-investing and getting yourself in trouble. So it's a balance. It's hard to reach. You're always going to feel like you could have done more. Like, I look back now on the mistakes I made, on things I should have bought, and I'm not talking about millions. I'm talking about billions of dollars of money I could have made if I didn't pull back. But then, you know, what could have happened is there could have been a a bigger, deeper recession. or could have been, um, you know, something else that happened when it didn't, and and I wouldn't be standing today. So it's all about balance and taking risk with uh, taking too much risk.
1: So, so Brad, we have a lot of, of uh, listeners that are are just trying to get into the market. I think, especially in a place like Vancouver, where it's it's pretty tough to get in. It sounds like you bought a number of investment properties before you ever bought a, a principal residence. Is that kind of a route you would take, or do you think it's it's smarter to buy a principal residence first?
3: Well, I think I think you got to do what you can do. When I when I so whenever you're starting out in your 20s, you can never afford uh, what you want. Like, uh, you know, I remember a friend of mine was very wealthy. His dad was very wealthy. And and he was living, he was renting in an amazing condo downtown. And I was living in my parents' basement, which was nice. It was a nice house. It had a pool and everything. And my parents had some money. But it was, you know, I wasn't taking chicks home and shagging them like this guy was. I, I, I was living <laughs> at my parents' house, you know. <laughs> And the guy had a BMW, and, and I had a Volkswagen, used Volkswagen Jetta. And i drive down and see this guy. I'd be like, holy f***, he lives listen this building at the back. There's this outdoor pool. And at 6 o'clock on a Saturday, it's filled with girls. You know, I'm like, yeah. what am I doing? But, you know, what I did was I said, okay, I'm going to live for a later day. So I, I stayed uh, from 22 when I finished school to 30. I lived as long as I could, to my father threw me out in his house, their house. And I saved a ton of money, and I, I bought—I probably bought and sold 30 properties in that eight years. And and not only did I make money, but I also became very seasoned and very knowledgeable about real estate because I practiced it all the time. I could analyze things and. You know, faster, and I didn't. I didn't. I didn't second guess myself, which pretty well everyone does when they buy real estate. They can't believe it could be true. Like why? Like why am I so lucky to find this amazing thing to buy? And they they don't buy it because they they get afraid. So, uh, you know, uh, I, for first time buyers, the, the key is you, you want to get in the market. So, what did I do? I bought a townhouse in London with my with my two brothers. That was my first foray into real estate, and I didn't buy. So in in, uh, in in 1988 or 87, before the 80, it was 88 before the market crashed, I bought a condominium from Floor Plans for 100 and sorry for 101 thousand dollars at Jarvis and Girard, which was the the Harvey's across the street was called Hooker, Hooker Harvey's because all the hookers used to hang up front, and I, I it doesn't matter to me I want to be in the city. And I know that eventually this will be worth more than I bought it for. So I bought that and it took two and a half, three years to build. So in 1990, I moved out of my parents' house and I, and I bought that property with a, I think I had a $75,000 mortgage and I lived in that property with my girlfriend at the time. And that's, it took me eight, it took me eight years and it took me eight years of sacrificing by living in my parents' house, you know. it was great. My mother did my laundry. I had, you know, my own space downstairs. She cooked for me, and I loved her cooking. So, you know, it wasn't such a sacrifice. But for a young man, you want to get out and do your own thing. So, what they, what the first-time buyers have to do is anything they can to get in the market. So maybe what a Vancouver first-time buyer does is maybe they buy in uh, in a, a neighborhood in British Columbia that is not so far from where they are. You know where their center is. And they, and they, they drive uh, once a month, a couple hours, to collect the rent and make sure everything's okay. They'll make money in that neighborhood. They, gotta, they have to build their nest egg and their little fortune to get into the marketplace. It's not your birthright to graduate from university and have a degree and get an amazing job and buy an amazing house. It's nobody's birthright. You have to earn it. And I earned it. I struggled and worked very hard. None of my friends did it. None of my friends were willing to do what I was willing to do. So if you make excuses and you think that it's just your, your privileged right as a Canadian citizen to have an amazing condo or house in Vancouver, you're wrong. You don't have that right. You've got to work for it.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so, Brad, what about it? You know, we know you've had a lot of success throughout your career. What, what were some of the biggest mistakes you made along the way?
3: Well, I, my, my first mistake was I waited too long to, uh, to leave my the brokerage I worked at. Um, I was the, the, the by far the number one guy generating business there. I had a pretty big name at the time in, in the early nineties and I, I felt loyalty to my boss and, and I I just had a hard time, you know, doing that, but I should have done it earlier. Um, and not that people shouldn't be loyal, but there, there's time in, in everyone's life where they need to, they need to do something for themselves. And, and, uh, so I should have done that. And the other thing I'd say is that, is that um, uh, it's the, it's the opportunities I, I missed, you know, I, there's many of them that I could talk about that and they weren't small, bit small misses. Like I'll tell you about one parking lot, not far from my office that I, I bought with two other gentlemen for $3 million. And it's about a thirty thousand square foot parking lot, we, and it's in prime Toronto. And we flipped it uh, two weeks later for three hundred and thirty-five thousand, or three hundred, sorry, three point three five million. So we each benefited from a hundred thousand dollar boost, mm-hmm. and I thought that was great at the time. This was like nineteen. This was two thousand and one or two. And that parking lot today is worth over a hundred million dollars. Wow. That parking lot can can build. You could build 500,000 square feet of density on that parking all day long, 12 or 13 or 14 times coverage, let's say, and and uh, at 200 or 250 dollars a buildable foot, which is the number in the in the, the desirable part of Toronto, you're at 100 million dollars. Now I made that mistake ten times in my life, where I could have bought something, and I I just I didn't do it. And now I did buy other things. It's not like I'm bereft and, you know, going to be on the street, but I could have done more and I regret that I didn't, but then also if I had done more, maybe it would have put me in a position of not being able to be here and, you know, because tenants leave properties, you have a hard time making payments, you default on a mortgage, someone takes it and it's 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 a chain of events that can ruin people in real estate, so... Uh, I don't really regret it, but I'd say that I've made some mistakes in the past that I should not have, uh, maybe I should have bought more of those properties.
1: So so speaking of opportunities and potentially missed opportunities, in Toronto and Vancouver, especially right now, there's a lot of talk about cooling markets and there's been all sorts of government intervention. Where, Where do you see the opportunities right now?
3: Well, you, you'll notice that, um, that the, these kind of events happen. So in 1991, Bob Ray got elected. Do you know Bob Ray is? Yeah. Okay. And he completely ruined the Ontario economy. And, and four years later, he was out and Mike Harris was brought in. In British Columbia, you have a coalition between a socialist party and a Green Party. Green parties should never be in power, should never be in power. The Green Party's job is to force change through uh, through some power and some lobbying efforts, but having a Green Party in power is just stupid. And having an NDP or Socialist Party in power anywhere in the world is stupid. And and, and so, BC is going to suffer for the length of time that that party's in power, and I guarantee you that party's gone in the next election. Guaranteed. Absolutely. So. I don't, I think that Vancouver is going to struggle until this party is gone. Uh, it, the, 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 province has gone too far left and the same thing with Alberta. I don't, I don't see big money and, and people taking a big, uh, um, risks in Alberta until Rachel Knott was gone. And it, it, she's actually a kind of a centrist when it comes to, you know, politics, even though she's an NDP, she's, a, she's an Alberta NDP, um, and then we had we had we had the most left wing uh, pr- pr- premier in Ontario's history. She wasn't a Liberal. She was an NDP. She was a radical, and she did terrible things to our economy, and, and she did terrible things to our real estate industry. I, I, like just horrendous. Just you know, not one thing, but ten things. Mm-hmm. And and so we we so what happened is that you know no party status, seven seats. Um, people eventually wake up and say, I get it, this is not good. So I think that uh, the future for us in Ontario is brighter than, I think, uh, if, if, if people want real estate prices to start rising again in Vancouver and the market tightening, it, it will not happen with this party to the same extent that it would happen if there was a uh, liberal or semi, semi-right-wing party in power. Same thing in Alberta. In Toronto, we, I think we, like, because I think, not least, uh, is, I think the election's in a year. So I think you're going to see things change in Alberta in about a year. I mean, change in a big way. There's a huge opportunity for people from Vancouver to buy a condo in Vancouver, get some, to manage it for you, and in two or three years, you're going to make a nice profit, and you can bring the money back to BC and maybe maybe get a down payment for a home. The, so That's I, something for us so
1: Sorry, Brad, are you are you saying buying Calgary or Alberta as opposed? I, you, think, I, think the,
3: I think I the, think the the three best markets to buy in real estate. Sorry, the four best markets to buy in real estate are Calgary, Hamilton, Ottawa, and Montreal. Those cities are all poised for um, at some point. Exp- Explosion of value growth because they're too cheap. They're way too cheap. I think Vancouver and Toronto have, have run, uh, and what's happening is what's necessary: uh, retrenchment. Uh, otherwise, th- th- we would have blown up. Both both cities would have blown up. Um, so there's going to be a retrenchment, which doesn't mean we had a retrenchment in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. It was a uh, eight reco- percent you know uh, loss of value. And the market started up again. I think you're going to see a similar kind of thing in, in both cities. It may last a little bit longer, where you go a little bit sideways longer in Vancouver because you have a government there that is completely anti-development, uh, anti-real estate, anti-wealth. You know, it's 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 an insane government. And 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 the thing is. You know, Vancouver, it's so funny because what happens in these cities like Toronto Vancouver is everyone points the finger at developers, greedy developers. You know, you have these massive NIMBYist networks. And the the, the reality is it's all NIMBYs in government that cause their own problems. They just can't see the forest for the trees. You know, if if Vancouver had added, and all those buildings they said couldn't be higher than 28 or 32 stories, if they added 10 stories, what would have happened? Honestly, would the city have just exploded because there's too much height? No. If they had allowed, allowed a, a, a condo to go from 50 to 65, nothing would have happened. It would have been fine. It would have been okay. And, but, but here's what would have happened. There would have been tens of thousands of more apartments uh, available, which would have kept pricing in check. And, and so now you can't go back. These buildings are there forever. You're never going to knock down a 300-unit condominium to build a bigger one. That's not, how are you going to get 300 people to sign on the dotted line to sell their unit? It's never mm-hmm. going to happen. You're doomed. The city, so Vancouver doomed itself for being a very expensive city, and Toronto's done the same because we have we have a we have a we have a, we have a socialist premier uh, in, in the biggest run-up of real estate, and 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 when we needed support from government, we didn't get it, and then we have we have a complete uh, you know, almost like radical left-wing governments running Toronto. We have a mayor that's not, but the, the all the downtown wards are, are primarily um, massively left-wing, uh, and you saw that in the election. Almost every every ward in the city went, went went orange, and these people do not see reality. They just don't understand that there's that. that I don't know if it's they, they they didn't go to school and get educated about about economics, but it's. <clears throat> I know economics isn't a science, but it's pretty obvious that if you increase the supply of a product, the price will level off or fall. Mm-hmm. That's pretty obvious. And so if we've been constricting supply, if everything we've been doing in Toronto has been to constrict supply, how can you expect prices to do anything but rise? So we have, we, we've ruined this economy uh, for, for first-time buyers. Toronto is never going to be a place for first-time buyers unless first-time buyers get help. It's the only. It's, it's, it's like Vancouver, where it's going to be very hard for some of Vancouver to ever buy a first home in Vancouver. They're going to have to do what I did as a stepping stone mm-hmm. over 10 or 15 years to get there and be patient about how they have to get there. And it's going to be troublesome and a lot of work and so on. But in the end, they're going to get a home in the city they want to live in. But it's all government meddling that caused this. You just have to look at what 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 uh, councilors and mayors have done in Vancouver in the last thirty years to prevent density right right
1: and we've had a lot of people on that have have said the same thing it's uh it well, there's a consensus at least with the people we talk to right
3: well it's it's obvious I mean you 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 know it, it it's there's no there's no denying i I can tell you that that my cost if I do a building that's three hundred thousand square feet my costs are, low, are are lower per square foot than if I do buildings 150,000 or 180,000 square feet. I can reduce my prices by seven or eight mm-hmm, percent. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a huge amount when you're when you're at thousand dollars a foot. That's 140 dollars or seventy dollars a square foot. That could be fifty thousand dollars in a purchase price in Toronto for a first time buyer. It's, it's a it's a big chunk of money.
2: Absolutely. So um, Brad, I'm I'm just really interested here. You mentioned that uh, the four areas—Calgary, Hamilton, Ottawa, and, and Montreal. Um, if if you had a, a couple, we'll call it a million bucks uh, to invest right now, w- which of those markets would you probably go into, and, and what type of property?
3: Well, so the, so most people uh, most people can't buy uh, commercial property because it's it's troublesome. It's troublesome to manage a plaza or. 10 tenplex from a distance. Um, I, I think that if you, someone went to Calgary right now, they could buy a condominium in a in a fantastic building, probably for five fifty a foot. Um, calgary was was more expensive than Toronto uh, in two thousand and seven. So it tells you where it could go. Um, Ottawa. So, so I have a ton of condos in in uh, Calgary. I have a ton of condos in Ottawa, and I had at one point a ton of condos in Montreal. And I made a mistake in Montreal because I was so sick of the tenant situation there. It's so it's so uh, pro tenant that I raised rent from a thousand or eleven hundred dollars five dollars, and the tenant would be like, "I'm leaving five dollars. You're leaving over five dollars. Yes, I'm leaving." So I, I had uh, a, a bunch of condos that I had bought. I developed a building there with partners and, and that, and I spent a lot of time on trail because of that. And I saw the city changing. So I, I was there on weekends. I walk in the sales office and buy a couple of units at each building I went into. And I had them all rented and I had a friend of mine managing them. And, and but I just, I couldn't, I could never get any more rent. And it just made me angry at one point. I was like, it, I'm selling everything in Montreal. I'm never going back again as an investor. I've had it. And then I I watched over the last year Montreal just catch fire and, and, and Montreal is you know, it's it Montreal they they have the right premier, they have a good mayor. Even the previous mayor that I think got into some trouble. He was very good for the city in the way of social works. Like it's the most beautiful city um on the street, you know. It it's just constantly upgrading over to that city and it's it's got a lot of really great civic pride and and I think it's a tiny city, too, so it doesn't have a lot of room to grow. And they are tough about density. So I think that Montreal is great, too. I, I mean, probably the three. Um, Ottawa might be the weakest because Ottawa is a government town, and mm-hmm. you have a problem. And, and, and this is a problem with Calgary, too, in that it's an oil town, and so you have these swings. But um, I like Calgary because it's been hammered so badly that I think there's going to be a huge upswing. I like I, I like Ottawa because... You have a government stability, so you don't get wild increases, just steady increases in price. And the city's going to grow because this liberal government's going to be there for a very long time. Justin Trudeau's young, and people like him. And I think the liberals will be a dynasty for a while, and, and, and liberals are all about growing government. So I think that's a, a tremendous place to be. And I like I like Hamilton, too, because Hamilton is a city, and it's the cheapest city well, it's, it's it's sort of in the same part of these cities, but, um, you know, it's it's kind of new to Hamilton that, that they're, people are seeing the opportunity. And I think that the growth of Toronto is enveloping uh, so many other areas. Hamilton is distinct and a standalone city, but it will be affected by the sprawl of Toronto. It, it, just in terms of people saying, I'm not... Buying a house for one point five million dollars in Toronto, and I can buy a house for five hundred thousand in Hamilton, and it's mm-hmm. the same house. And I can live in Hamilton, and I can work in Hamilton, you know. And I can visit Toronto whenever I want. So it's hard to pick, to be honest with you. I think that, um, but in all cases, I would buy. I would buy condominiums because in all of those cities, uh, you can make money as a landlord. I mean, you can buy You can put thirty percent down. Um, uh, you can, and I buy them from floor plans. So don't buy something that's existing. Someone's already made the money on that. Buy something from floor plans, wait three or four or five years. You know, so, so when you, when you get possession of it, you bought it in, you know, 2018 prices, you're closing in 2023. So you, you now own a property with 2023 prices and your rent is 2023, which means you've probably got a 20% bump in rent. So all your modeling is going to look very conservative. And these, these cities, you can buy property, rent it, and make money, which you can't do in Toronto, you can't do in Vancouver.
1: Right, right. Excellent advice. So, so is there one book uh, that you've read that everyone interested in real estate should, should uh, get a hold of?
3: Or are you kind no, of- it's not there's, there's not one book, but I'll tell you I wrote a book let <laughs> it's called the condominium condominium millionaire and we we've 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 run it out through the through every city we've worked in to show people that in each city they can do this. We're about to update it again with new numbers because we haven't done it for two years. If people want to learn the basics because if this is you know you don't want to overthink this it's not complicated. This book is 25 pages long. Read it. It'll show you exactly what you have to do and how you have to do it. And it's not going to take you more than 40 minutes to read. It's all you need to know about the condominium business uh, in terms of being an investor. And it will also give you, if you read it and understand the fundamentals, you can apply them to buying a plaza, a you know, a, an apartment building. I just say this one thing about... Why condominiums, in my mind, are better than those other uh, genres of investment properties. And here's why. When you buy a plaza, you're going to sell it on the cap rate, you're going to sell it on the income. That's the only way it's going to sell. If cap rates are 5%, no one's going to give you more than a multiple of 5% on your gross, on your net income. Mm-hmm. That's the way it is. Same thing with apartment building, same thing with an office building, same thing with, with, with uh, any retail space. But what's great about a condo? If you buy a condo, condominium can sell for a cap rate. So an investor could say, I, "Well, I need to get a, a net income on this, and I, you know, I want I want to have a positive cash flow." But but 99% of the time, you sell a condo as a single-family home. So you buy it from a developer on a cap rate program where you want to see close to positive cash flow year one or. Positive cash flow year one is hard, but you might be able to do it. But if you can't do it, it could be pos- it could be cash it could be positive cash flow year one from the standpoint of setting off how much you pay off in your mortgage. Right. So if you lose a grand or two a year, but you're uh, paying off eight thousand in your mortgage, it's not cash flow. It doesn't qualify as cash flow. But you're still up six grand a year in terms of getting richer. Right. Regardless of the going up in value, but when you go to sell it, you don't you sell it to an end user who doesn't doesn't care about cash flow or a cash flow or cap rate or price per square foot. They care about can I afford it or can I not? So you can buy it on the cheap based on the fundamentals of rental real estate, and you can sell it as a single family home at the highest valuation possible. And it's the only real estate you can do that with. And that's why I like it because you pick your time to sell, and you can you can make you know, people people bought condos from us at the building we're completing right now, they bought condos at five thirty to five forty square foot. They're gonna sell and, and they're gonna close in another few months, and once they close, uh they can sell those for eleven hundred and twenty five or eleven fifty a foot. So they put, you know, uh, on a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars small condo, they're they're gonna put like um maybe twenty five percent down, so you know what, sixty five thousand down, and if they sell it, they can, they're going to pull out three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. You could never do that ever with a plaza or an apartment building. It's just, it's a way to, to you know you got to buy a lot of them to get rich, but it's a, it's it's a very good way for small investors to get ahead. And I don't suggest that they sell them at that point. I suggest they refinance them and go buy another two, Mm -hmm. right? And then take the 25 years to pay off your mortgage, have the tenant pay off your mortgage over 25 years. The worst case scenario is you own a condo outright in 25 years. It's pretty amazing. Yeah,
2: (laughs) no kidding. so Brad, uh we got just one last question before we let you go and we really appreciate your time, but um we're big fans of this Lamb sells condos uh the ad that you did there. I think it was around 2007 if uh, if I'm correct on that. Um, how did that come about? <laughs>
3: uh well, so um, I I I did this um, I did this ad in 2000 and uh, can't remember. It's a very long, long time ago. Maybe even in the 90s. And um, no one will remember this, but Burt Reynolds did this. Uh, do you know who Burt Reynolds is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lots of people don't. So Burt Reynolds was a big movie star in the 70s, and he did this Cosmopolitan um, spread where he was lying on like a fur rug, and he was naked, and he was kind of lying horizontally with his head on his on his on his arm. You know, like sort of. And I think his knee was up too, yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and he had the bearskin rug covering his, you know, stuff. And and uh, I remember seeing that, and thinking that's 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 kind of funny, you know, because uh, it caused a huge uproar at the time. And so when I was when I was doing when. Uh, my name's Brad Lamb, and and at the time Brad Pitt was, you know, very sexy, you know, popular actor, and everybody knew him. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna lie. I'm gonna lie on this kind of horizontal thing. Well, I'll do it my I lie on my logo. So my logo is like a table, and and the caption will be, okay, he's no Brad Pitt, but he sells a ton of condos. And that was the first thing I did, and it caused an absolute uproar. You know, people like, what the f***? Who, who does real estate ads like that? And ad, ad agencies would call me and say, they should arrest you, that ad's so bad. I said, yeah, but you called me. Yeah. <laughs> like, How many people do you call and say, I like your ad, right? So it got me thinking about crazy ads, and then, you know, obviously, my, my name being Lamb, I thought, well, how weird would it look for me to be like a minotaur and put my you know fat round head on a lamb and have a silly little smile on it and just start having funny little captions about it so the first one i was you know was that this farm calls condos um and then i had a bunch of them i you know i had like 10 different ads over a while that that i did with that and actually this year i'm back at that ad i have that <laughs> ad uh downtown it's even sillier this year i'm I'm wearing scuba gear with a scuba with like a like a glass bowl over my head, and I'm attached directly to a submarine by a hose. And there's a great white shark coming after me, and I have a spear gun. And it says, um, "What does it say?" It says, uh, uh, "We go to great depths to sell you your home or sell you a property or something like that."
2: My my favorite is the uh, miles above the competition ad where you're a lamb in space.
3: Um. Yeah, and no, I did that too.
2: <laughs> so so Brad, how how can people find out more about your developments and and what you do?
1: Also also find out more about the book. Like, is that an e-book or do you buy that on Amazon?
3: no it's free. I don't I don't make people pay for it. We we are going to start printing a bunch for Ottawa and. Uh, Toronto again and if people want it they, they just need to email info at and we'll we'll pop one in the mail to them and um, with respect to our projects um, we are we are we are very close to um, relaunching our our now um, tired and old website um, Brad J lamb realty.com I think it is and um and then they can go to Torontoconnels dot uh, sorry, they can go to Lambdev.com, lambdev.com, and Brad J Lamb Realty dot com and they can get information on our new projects, So they can just send an email at the dot com and um, uh, my office will get back to about what's coming up and what's new. We also have a newsletter that uh, we we produce quarterly um, and uh, we just, we, that's available through email or we pop in the mail so if they want a hard copy. So anything they want in that, of that nature, they just have to send an email to that that address and we'll send it off to them.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Brad. That was a fascinating discussion. I think uh, everyone will learn a lot from it. Oh, you're welcome. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Brad J. Lamb.
2: Yeah, super interesting conversation with Brad and honestly, Matt, like he's got 30 over 30 years of experience buying and selling, investing in real Wildly estate. Wildly successful. Wildly successful guy and uh man, he did not
1: disappoint. Did not disappoint. You know, what? I was thinking like there's so many takeaways that he literally was like, here's a takeaway and gave us a really interesting takeaway. There's also other points like he said he wanted to be a billionaire. That was his goal. Like set your Might goal. already be a go- billionaire. Yeah, we're not sure, but he left it a little set, vague, but said Set your goals big. I mean, there's so many takeaways from that that talk.
2: Yeah, and a guy, and he's from humble beginnings as well. I mean, uh, you know, and and it's one of these things. Thirty years of investing, buying and selling real estate. Like, man, that is a that's a guy where you can trust his gut. you Yeah, know? yeah, um, for sure. And and you know, he gave a lot of lot of interesting takeaways just for the investors out there. I know we've got a lot that listen to the program, um, and uh, good logic. No kidding.
1: No kidding. So what else do we got? Here's one thing. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, we have the debate results. Shouldn't say results because it's ongoing. So if you feel very strongly about that debate one way or the other, please go over and vote. We can say hundreds of people have uh, responded on the website. Andre Pavlov is up 65.48%. Versus Tom Davidoff's thirty four point five two percent. So very interesting results so far. Sure. Fairly close, um, but uh, yeah, get over there and vote S- if you haven't.
2: Surprising results, perhaps. Uh, you know, we, we you know Pavlov well, go, is
1: definitely uh, in the lead. Yeah, here here's one thing about that. I mean, our results go against general polling, so it's yeah. just uh, the Maybe leadings of a- some of our listeners are are ones that feel compelled enough to vote. Right, right, for sure. And while you're over on the website, sign up for private client services. No kidding. But wait, Adam, what do you get with private client services? Matt,
2: if you are not using private client services, you are standing still. While the rest of us power walk by, you get sold prices. You get days on market. It's all realtor-level information, and it's updated 36 to 72 hours before public MLS. We
1: have said it before. There is absolutely no reason if you're interested in Vancouver real estate that you shouldn't be using private it's service. the best thing out there we've tried them all also we have the mobile app sign up for that over at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com you basically get the same information on the go
2: yeah on the go so picture this you're you're out on your one wheel um, <laughs> you're, you're rolling wait, down union on a one wheel uh, wait what's a one wheel one wheel is those uh, you know they're like the board with the one one wheel you see the guys there it, oh, yeah. it's almost like a skateboard but there's just one giant wheel except in you the look middle. like a giant yeah, okay. yeah, no, come on. Hey, hey, we don't want to offend our one-wheelers that <laughs> listen to the podcast on their commute into work. But you're on your one-wheel. You see a building that looks really nice. You pull out your phone. You point it directly Aug- at You're the talking building. about augmented reality. I'm talking about augmented reality. This is the future. You can tell exactly what's in the building. It's a, it's a great service, and it's our mobile app. It's on the site. It's free. Go there. Sign up. Last, we got the
1: Livewire this is our weekly newsletter. We got more polls. You like polls? We do polls <laughs> weekly now. We also offer all the latest news, tips, episodes. There's, there's ah, deal of the month. Deal we, of the month. It's, it's amazing.
2: Yeah, you need to be on that list. And last but not least, we have 159 reviews now on iTunes. We really appreciate all the reviews. Um, we're also really growing in terms of the reviews we have on Google. This is how you can help the podcast grow. Uh, get in touch, but also head over and give us a review on iTunes if you like the show, if you're learning something, or head over and give us a Google review. We really we
1: read each of them. We really value them, and uh, thank you yeah, very we much def- in advance. we definitely appreciate them. If you want to have a chat about reviews or anything else... Seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four, or you can email me at matt at podcast dot com, or you can try me at seven seven eight eight six six
2: four five seven four, or Adam at Podcast dot com. We also got that nonpartisan line info at Podcast dot com. Do okay. not want to hurt Matt's feelings. Oh, careful snowflake! And last guys, did you hear? Edmonton got the World Cup. Congrats, Edmonton! I'm glad Vancouver didn't place that bid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enjoy the week. We'll see you
1: next week.